Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we were partied out this week, although perhaps we don't want to talk about the correspondence dinner. Maybe everybody's kind we of don't, had enough. We don't enough. talk about the dinner. I didn't go to the dinner. We I didn't do anything to on the day of the dinner. We went to a brunch, which was lovely. Uh, when you are texting Margie going, OMG, I think Reince Priebus is talking to Michael Avenatti. It's lit. That's either the most amazing or the saddest text uh, and, ever. I was, and I was like, I was like turning to my husband. I'm like, get it, get in the car. <laughs> I really this wanted to talk get Margie to the party. I wanted to talk to Michael Avenatti about my how much I enjoy his legal commentary in the ten o'clock hour. And can my husband sneakily take a photo of us together? But we didn't do we didn't get to do that anyway. Um, but that seems like ages ago. Since then, I went to New York to see Lauren Hill's twentieth anniversary oh, concert jealous. of the miseducation of Lauren Hill's 20 years since I was obsessed with that album with one of my besties at the Apollo Theater. We went to Red Rooster right beforehand. We saw Marcus, the chef from Red Rooster, in line in front of us to get into the Apollo Theater. The show was incredible. Then I went off to focus groups and now I'm back here. So anyway, it was Fanta- That's how we roll. Fantastic. Fit a concert and I, a focus group into the same trip. I had my dragon energy. Like, it was totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was totally fine. Um, so anyway, uh, what do you think? What are your well, observations of this week? Anyway, if I fall of, asleep, you know, just, like, throw something at me. Well, we've, we've got a lot of dragon energy going yeah. on here. We have a little poll about dragon energy. But before we get to that, this week's top lines are, is covering POTUS a soul-consuming activity? We'll look at some polling on the White House correspondent lifestyle. Uh, then, is POTUS chaos a feature or a bug? Do Trump's supporters think things are crazy and think that's awesome? We'll dive into a little bit of polling about what people think about democracy and the current state of affairs in the White House. We'll also talk about some new polling on millennials, but it has a bit of a twist ending. Millennials leaving the Democrats. We'll talk about what we think about the latest research on that front. And then we'll go to the states. As the midterms approach, we want to do a little bit more talking about individual Senate, governor races, and and so on and so forth. So today we're going to go to Missouri and New York. But we'll also take a little trip to New Hampshire because in case you forgot – there's a presidential election coming up in two and a half years. What? It's never too early. <laughs> and finally, the Avengers Infinity War is breaking box office records. We will take a look at some fun polling that dropped about people's favorite Avengers. But first, the poll of the week comes from our gal pal, Ariel Edwards-Levy at Huffington Post. Who has been on fire this week with the puns. And the, the fun Twitter jokes. My favorite was, um, so Cambridge Analytica, you know, my favorite. 
uh, is shutting down. Womp womp. Um, and she tweeted that instead of calling it Cambridge Analytica, they should call it just outside of Boston Analytica. I know, that and was good. I just loved that. I loved that. Even though it's about the Cambridge in the UK, but still. The joke still stands. What if it's uh, – and what about the other one that I liked? Right. That's very – still just as funny. What about um, – can you call it hush money if n- no one can stop talking about it? <laughs> that was my other favorite one from her. Um, but anyway, but this is actual data, not just a joke. Um, they did a poll on Kanye West who was in the news and – Just a little bit. He hasn't aged as well as Lauren Hill, I got to tell you. Um, so uh, – you know, Democrats feel kind of similarly to how they felt in 2015. We talked about Kanye West polling when we started the pollsters, I think. I believe we did. I'm, I'm certain if you go back in the archives, it's got to be like episode 14 or something. Yes. Or episode 8. So his faves among Democrats have dropped just a hair from 17% fave among Dems to 13%. A lot more Democrats are unfavorable toward him. Among Republicans, his faves have tripled. From 11 to 34 in three in three years. I mean, it's really like three days. You know? Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is extraordinary. But this is just like <laughs> it's like the, it's it's what we said was going to happen as soon as Comey got fired. Right. That as soon as Comey got fired, the numbers on him were going to flip dramatically. I'd like to think Comey's listening to the pollsters right now. Like, do not bring me into this <laughs> garbage story. <laughs> I have nothing to do with this. Uh, yeah. So the the fact that now that suddenly Kanye West is getting Twitter love from the president and vice versa, that his numbers would go up does not surprise me at all in the least. Yeah. Um, And they they also asked in this poll, um, Kanye West recently expressed his views about President Trump in a series of tweets. Do you happen to have heard whether these tweets were positive toward Trump, negative toward Trump, or I haven't heard anything about these tweets? Um, Republicans and Democrats are about equally as likely to say that they had heard about the tweets and thought that they were positive. Uh, Independents... Not really paying attention. Yeah, God, it must be lovely to be an independent. They're like, what are you just talking be about? Like, I don't, I don't know what this the just washes is. over me, right? But you know, some bipartisan agreement in the actual news, in the facts of the news. So that's yep. you know a, a, a small ray of hope. All right. So, Margie, you wanted to talk a little bit about this fun poll of the lifestyle of the White House correspondent. Yeah. I mean, they had this was in the run up to the dinner and it was in Politico. And, you know, they had some interesting qual about like, what, you know, how do you cover it? What does it mean for you? And I don't you know, we don't need it to go into any all that. I, what I thought was interesting is when folks who cover the White House wake up and when they go to bed, like that's what, you know, are is your sleeping style like a White House reporter? And, you know, most, a plurality, get up between 6 and 7, 21% say that's when they get up. 13% get up between 5 and 6. Oh, wait, that's not even percent. That's total people. Yeah, okay. the N is pretty small on this. All right. <laughs> that's fine. So let's just call it, it looks like, you know, most of them, right? And then they go to bed between 11 and 12. So that's not that much yeah, of a that hardship. perfectly lovely and acceptable. So maybe they don't have it so bad. Yeah. I, that doesn't sound too bad to me. And this other question, what's the average number of days per month, including weekends, you've been able to take off of work? I guess this is the the tougher number that it's less than six days. So even, they're working a lot on weekends because, you know, president tweets stuff on a Saturday or, you know, they've got to travel to Mar-a-Lago or whatever. Yeah, but I mean, are people thinking like a full day off or 
you know, are they working? Are they just sort of checking in, or are they right? Are they filing a story? Or are they making it, doing interviews? Like it's not totally clear, you know, how people are thinking about that, right? That's true. That's true. Everybody kind of does a little bit of work. Not everybody, but like people in professional jobs often do kind of like drips and jabs of work rather than necessarily taking an entire day off or working an entire day. And then this is the number that's interesting. What's the longest you've gone without checking your phone or email, not including sleep or vacation? So three and a half hours. So I don't know if that's like a movie and change or if that's a <laughs> That's flight, about how long the Avengers <laughs> Or if that's a like a work plane trip, you know. Um, or is that like a school event or festival or some kind of school performance that you have to sit through and you're like, okay, I'm not going to check my phone. So the of, I don't know. Of, of all of the surprising findings in this poll, the one that made me go, huh, because this is just so different from what the public perception is, was the which Trump communications director or press secretary have you liked working with the best? 38% say Sean Spicer. 31% say Sarah Huckabee Sanders. 12% say Hope Hicks. I feel like I read all kinds of stories about how reporters loved working with Hope Hicks and then everybody would complain about Sean Spicer, but this data suggests that's not the case, that that, that narrative is flawed. Maybe. 12% say mooch. <laughs> the four, four days of mooch. I don't know what to, the... I don't know what to make of these numbers, honestly. This, this one is very confusing. Is it because Spicer is like long ago? So like that, you know, he benefits from like, I don't know. It's all. I don't know. I just, knows? it's different from the, it's different from the public narrative that, right. that people say. So and, good right. for, good for him. And the mooch just died, died with Hope Hicks. I don't know. I can't explain it. Somebody will have to tell us. I don't know. <laughs> Um, okay, so speaking of the president, uh, job approval sitting stable at forty-two percent. It's very stable, but genius. stable is not how people see the administration. Um, so the, with the White House correspondence dinner, there's always a lot of discussion of the swamp. Is this like peak peak swampitude? Um, so Monmouth asked Donald Trump promised to drain the swamp when he got to Washington. Would you say that he has made progress draining the swamp? That he has made the swamp worse, or that nothing has changed? And only one out of four people say he has made progress draining the swamp. And most of those people are Republicans. Um, has he made the swamp worse? 31% say he has made the swamp worse. Most of those are Democrats. Uh, and then has nothing really changed? That is the plurality answer, 37%. Um, and that is pretty evenly split across Republicans, independents, and Democrats. I mean, I feel like questions like these, and there are a lot of questions like this actually today, um, but the swamp question in particular, you know, when we look at these kinds of historic questions 30, 40 years ago, for, and we're like, I can't believe somebody asked a question about, you know, some some really kind of antiquated language that people would use, right? And so or, or whatever the pollsters, presumably we're not going to have a pollsters podcast 30 years from now for a variety of reasons, you know, but... Whatever we're doing or whoever is going to pick up the mantle and talking about polls everywhere, are they going to look at this swamp poll and say, I can't believe there was tracking by national outlets about how is the progress on draining the swamp? <laughs> this is – it's one of those things where is this a is this a turn of phrase that is going to stick around or is this a very Trump-specific thing? Like will we be hearing political candidates 20 years from now saying like we still need to drain the swamp? Yeah. I, be I bet you the answer is yes. 
putting my marker down on that's a thing people well, are going to be saying. Let's just see how the swamp, what happens with the swamp in the next couple of years before we figure out, I guess, how, how that phrase sticks around. And then um, so more from this poll, would you say Trump runs his administration in a way that's been less conventional or about as conventional as prior presidents, more conventional um, which was a volunteer that wasn't even offered as a category, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, it shows, you know, like people didn't really expect that to kind of be an answer. But 81% said less conventional. I mean, this is comparable to some of the things we were talking about in the Navigator poll when we had Jeff Pollock on um, or uh, uh, when we interviewed uh, Tony Fabrizio and uh, Joel Benenson right after the election. It's not quite the same question, but similar like this question and the next one, like, okay, he represents change. Is that change good or bad? Right. So has he been different? Yes or no. And has that difference been good or bad for the country? And uh, almost half, 46 percent say Trump being less conventional has been bad for the country. Twenty seven percent say it's been good for the country. And then there's the mixed response or, well, he hasn't actually been less conventional at all. Um, right. Which this is the the but it, it, I guess I'm more fascinated by the next question on the survey, which is how surprised are you by this? Um, has anything you've seen over the last year and a half almost has any of this like, right. oh, my gosh, I didn't think this is what we were going to get. Um, the answer is no. Seventy nine percent of people say they are not surprised by how this is going. Right. And, you know, and so the headline that Monmouth and I think these poll questions are, are very interesting. The headline I saw was um, they are, you know, voters are unfazed by what's been happening, which I think is different than not surprised. Unfazed kind of means like, you know, I'm nonplussed. I'm not alarmed by it. Right. So you can be. Alarmed and not surprised at the same time. Sure, sure. So you could say, yeah, I'm not surprised that this is, you know, going unconventionally and badly. I'm, but I'm also upset about that. But somebody could also answer that question and go, I'm not surprised by how things are going because I always knew that if we were ever going to get North Korea to give up their nukes, it was going to be someone like Trump to do it. So there are lots of different ways you can look at this presidency and say, it is unconventional and I am not surprised. Right, right. So. But I'm not sure unfazed was the quite – I agree with you Quite on that. the right – not that that's not a component of this 79 percent. Um, and then this other question, which is interesting, which is, you know, special counsel is currently conducting an investigation into Russian interference, et cetera. Should the Russia investigation continue or should it end? And – this they have tracking on this over the last year essentially mm-hmm. and in may of 17 73% said continue 24% said end now it's 54% continue 43% end that's you know that's real that's some change there yeah it went i mean it went from being a 50 point margin in favor of yes it should continue to only being a you know an 11 point margin it, which makes sense as people go okay you've investigated for a year now like let's wrap this up what, right. tell us what you found so so the question then looking at, at looking at this is how much of that continue versus end so how much of the end is like no i'm concerned it's getting political it needs to stop right and how much of it is like okay let's you know Let's get to the end. And how much, you know, surely we're almost at the end of this because it seems like, you know, things are happening. Or And how much of that end is, um, you know, I, I don't want, you know, I don't want it to go anymore. How much of the end is like, I'm just tired of hearing about it. Is, are we getting I to the end? I bet that's a lot of it. Are we getting to the end of this 
this drama soon. And so I, and it's not that the question's not precise. I think the question is worded fine, but it, it, there's, it's more complicated than continue versus end. So I don't know totally what the continue versus end symbolizes. Um, so yeah, so that's from a couple of different polls. There were quite a few polls out this week, but that's the one we're going to focus on from, um, about how's it going in the White House. And I think there was also, we should look it up. I think there was also some more morning console Politico stuff too that had kind of similar, like, think people are worried. So we can look some of that up. But anyway, the next up is Pew. And the health of our democracy. So uh, this is from a little small matter. Yeah. the, The Pew report, you know, at times of growing stress on democracy around the world, Pew finds that Americans generally agree on democratic ideals and values that are important for the U.S., and see the country falling short of living up to these ideals. Um, so what they asked was, does, is this very important for the United States to do each of the following things? And then do we do these things well? So the elected officials face serious consequences for misconduct. 83% of people think that's very important. Only 30% of people think that actually happens. Um, congressional districts are fairly drawn. 72% think that's very important. Only 49% think that happens. The one thing that we actually do pretty well on is the right to peacefully protest. 74% think that's important and about the same number think that is something we do. Um, so there are, you know, a variety of things where people there, – there was this mismatch between yeah. how how important is this and then how good a job are we doing? And that was not a – that was the one few – one small area where there wasn't a huge mismatch. Yeah. I mean that's pretty troubling. I mean here's, here's one thing that I, I found – a positive. I mean, there was a lot that kind of worried me in this poll. There's a lot of sort of demonstrating people having some worries and anxiety and and concerns about how things are going in America. But this one number, I think, was probably one of the the better, more uplifting numbers. So it said, in general, what do you think about the quality of candidates running for blank in the last several elections? And president, people were divided. Okay, we'll t- we'll put a pin in that, but running candidates for Congress and candidates for local elections, actually people felt quite positive about the quality of candidates running for Congress or local elections. Overwhelmingly, majority said that those candidates were somewhat good or very good, a lot fewer saying that those candidates were very bad or somewhat bad. So that's good news. And certainly on on the left, we feel, you know, there are lots of really great candidates, lots of multiple good candidates in a lot of races. So I think, you know, perhaps this reflects that, although it says in the last several elections. Um, but that I think is good news that people still feel that they can find good candidates where they live. And there are also a lot of uh, interesting divides by party, as you might expect, on how America's doing on a handful of these metrics. So for instance, on the question of whether Everyone in America has an equal opportunity to succeed, something that lots of people think is important for democracy. 74% of Republicans think we're doing well on that metric compared to only 37% of Democrats. Um, on the question of the rights and freedoms of all people are respected, 60% of Republicans say, yep, rights and freedoms are respected. That drops to 38% among Democrats. Um, the There are a handful, though, of metrics where Democrats actually have more faith in America than Republicans, and that is on news organizations don't favor a political party, they're independent of government, and they are – and judges are not influenced by political parties. These are the areas where Democrats have more faith in the system than Republicans. Republicans not loving the courts, not loving the media. Yeah, I mean this – these numbers are worrying. I mean, that difference between D's and R's on everyone has an equal opportunity to succeed is, 
I mean, that is a major difference, and that's a major difference in how people view the country and it's why people support party, the policy yeah. positions they support. If you think, yeah. look, generally there may be some barriers out there, but mostly if you work hard and you play by the rules, you can get ahead. You will support very different economic, right. fiscal, and social safety net type policies if that's the belief you hold. Yep. Now there's a little bit of a party difference in that peaceful protest question that we were talking about earlier. Not major, but somewhat where Republicans feel a little bit more optimistic about that than than do Democrats. But the place where there's a lot of partisan bipartisan agreement is on um uh the tone of political debate is respectful. People don't think that describes us. And they are, that's true among D's and R's. And there's also bipartisan agreement on the question of whether voters are knowledgeable or not. Only four out of 10 Republicans and about four out of 10 Democrats think that voters in U.S. elections are knowledgeable. Yeah. And here's the other one. People agree on basic f- facts, even if they disagree on politics. Most people don't think that that's true. Whether you're a D or you're an R. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our own facts. So, yeah. But so, not here on the pollsters. No. We have all the facts. We have all the facts. So, um, uh, yeah. So in that, you know, thing I've said quite often that, you know, the only thing that unites us is that we're divided, right? So you could see a little bit of that here, that that's one of the like places where there's bipartisan agreement. That and awareness of Kanye West tweets also on the fact that people feel that our tone is pretty, pretty toxic. Um and then, uh, you know, then we had some. Other, they had some other. Oh yes, that voters are knowledgeable, right? That's on the next one. I was like, where is she finding that? Um, and then you see some real differences by party on some specifics about our the way our system is structured, whether congressional districts are fairly drawn. That's a pretty big difference. Republicans are far more likely to say that that describes U.S. elections well. 63% among Republicans, just 39% among Democrats. A big difference on no ineligible voters permitted to vote. That's the reverse, where Democrats feel that that describes us. Republicans are far less likely to um, no eligible voters denied votes. So that's the, you know, flips again. Um, so some real party differences on sort of how people view voting, electoral fairness, congressional lines, and so on. And then, you know, kind of putting all this stuff together, there's another question, a more broader question. Do you think democracy is working in the U.S. today? And do you think we need to, you know, change the fundamental design and structure of our government? I mean, these are pretty big picture topics. And on the is democracy working, there's a pretty big difference by party where Republicans, you know, almost three fourths say this, you know, yes, democracy is working very well or somewhat well. Um, Just under half of Democrats agree that democracy is working. And then slightly less of a party difference on the question of whether we need fundamental design. Both parties say significant changes are needed, but Democrats are more likely to say that than Republicans. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. So speaking of big change, uh, 
there's a big change in the narrative around young voters that has happened in the last couple of days as a result of a new poll from Reuters and Ipsos about millennials. They are again defining millennials as 18 to 34. As we have discussed on this show, if you're 18, you're not a millennial, according to Pew Research Center, et cetera. So you're issuing a, you're issuing a penalty as a millennial poll, but there is dispute about whether all of these respondents technically count as millennials. So they're getting off with a warning. They're get yes. Well, but you know they can say we don't agree with Pew's definition of millennial. That's fine too. But at a certain point, you have to stop using the word millennial to just be synonymous with young people because we're not all young anymore. Um, but I will set that digression <laughs> aside. What this poll showed that was pretty notable was a fairly sizable shift in young voter support for the Democratic Party. Not a huge sh- surge in support for Republicans, but but more notable, I think, is the drop-off for Democrats and particularly the drop-off for Democrats among white men. Um, so in their poll in 2016, they found that Democrats had a 55 to 27 margin over Republicans on who would you vote for for Congress. Um, that has now narrowed to a much smaller gap, although I think this chart that they have has a typo in it because the numbers don't make any sense. If you look at this, the, the Ipsos graphic, I think they flipped the Republican and Democrat numbers around. Hmm. FYI, if anybody from Reuters and Ipsos is listening, you have Democrats at 37 and Republicans at 46, but your chart has the bars showing Democrats at 46, Republicans at 37, which is what your article says. Hmm. Mm. We found a problem. But anyhow, the rest of their charts are, are all uh, correct. And what they basically show is that among young white voters, there's it's they're split evenly between Democrats and Republicans. And among young white men, there's actually a nine-point advantage for Republicans over Democrats. This does not actually surprise me so much. Um, in the same poll, they find that about two-thirds of young voters do not approve of the job Trump is doing as president. So this is not a matter of young voters saying, I really like Donald Trump. But throughout the article, they note they talked to some of their young respondents who said that they were – they had voted for Hillary Clinton but were now more open to Republicans. And they pointed to things like the tax cut, um, that, that that was the sort of thing that made them go, eh, maybe I'll give these guys another chance. They actually passed a bill. I might be getting more money in my paycheck. Um, so this definitely defies a lot of the conventional wisdom about young voters. Um, but I, I still don't think that this means Republicans should just go like, oh, whew, OK, we're good. Because Ten sh- polls show this one thing, but we have this one. <laughs> no, I, it doesn't surprise me that young voters are feeling slightly more positive about the GOP, even if not about Trump. Mm-hmm. Now, if the tax cut is benefit, you know, like that doesn't we've seen the generic ballot move overall. So it wouldn't surprise me if the generic ballots moving for young people. But it's it's this shift among white men that that fascinates me, because I think if you are a young white male, you would not be it would not be hard for you to look at the Democratic Party and think, I don't know that they want me in the same way that, you know, if you are a young person of color or a young woman, you know, the narrative is, oh, how can you be a Republican? That cuts both ways. And so it does not surprise me that the way the last two years have gone have led more young white men to going, I don't know if the Democratic Party is the party for me. Now, there's a huge gap here on this chart between the R and the D bars where there are a bunch of young people that are like, I don't like either party. And that to me is the biggest headline, that there are still a lot of young people that do not like either option on offer. Um, And what we know about the demographics of 
the millennial generation is that white men is not the bulk of voters in that generation. So Republicans are doing better there. That's not enough to, I think, in the long term, in the aggregate, offset the problems with other groups within the millennial cohort. But it it goes to show you cannot just have your cake and eat it too. You cannot have a party message that, you know, alienates one group and sort of makes them the bad guy and not think that they're going to leave your party. And and I think that's what we're seeing with young white men in the Democratic Party today. Yeah. You know, I I would be curious and maybe they've released this. If not, if anyone at Ipsos wants it, I don't know if anyone at Ipsos actually listens to the show, but um, the education breakout and are we comparing comparable – you know, educate. You know, if we looked at educational attainment from the 2018 poll to the 2016 poll, is it similar, or can some of this variation be explained by differences in educational attainment? I think that's an important question, given what we know about how polling did or didn't compare to what the actual results were in 2016. So that's, I think, something to think about too. Uh, so now let's take a look at some of the states. We've got two states we're going to dive into today, Missouri and New York. So the first, the reason why I wanted to put Missouri into today's show is the Missouri Senate race. You have incumbent Senator Claire McCaskill. She's a Democrat, um, was first elected in 2006. Is that correct? Sounds right. Wow. That's really basic math. That's embarrassing. I didn't know that off the top of my head. She has been in the Senate for two terms, is running for a third. Um, and Missouri is one of those states where – Trump won the state. Um, can a blue – can a Democrat hang on in a Trump state? Claire McCaskill is is one of the Democrats who's trying. Um, she is facing a challenge from Josh Hawley who is a young – kind of considered a rising star in Republican circles but is currently kind of caught up in some – the state GOP Missouri mess that is around the governor – um, who has been accused of all manner of horrible things. Hawley has tried to distance himself from that, called for investigations into this, uh, these gross accusations, horrible accusations against the Republican governor. Um, but of course, that's, that's a, a drag on, you know, your message, obviously, you would prefer for it to be about something that is not. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Um, <laughs> so, the, you know, are Republicans actually going to be able to capitalize on this one potential opportunity? Um, so the the Hawley campaign released an internal poll. We've talked on the show about when a campaign releases an internal poll, do you trust it or not? Um, they released this poll from On Message is their pollster. Six hundred likely voters um, found uh, Hawley was up by one point forty seven to forty six. Um, this actually tracked quite closely with a poll put out by Emerson College, which showed the race in a tie. So those two polls tell fairly similar stories. I think. As we've talked about on the show, when you get an internal poll from a campaign, there are two competing forces fighting for its credit uh, for and against its credibility. Against is you're only seeing the poll the campaign wants you to see. Right. You're not seeing the polls that came before it or the Hurting. polls that will come after it. You're just seeing a selection Perhaps, right. of the polling mm-hmm. that, on the other hand, campaign polls tend to have more money invested in them and the pollster really wants to get it right because you want to get it right so you can keep getting business in the future. Whereas with a college or university, sure, they'd like to get it right, but sometimes those polls can be kind of underfunded or the incentive structure is just different. There's not as much of a market pressure to like you have to be right as there is for a an actual campaign consultant. 
right person. And, and so, the Emerson poll is IVR with online. So it, it, I'm assuming that when they say IVR, it says IVR for landlines uh, only because you can't use IVR for cell phones. And then an online panel, I'm assuming to fill in the cell phone piece in order to keep costs down. So online for cells is a strategy that sometimes folks do as a way to, you know, because cell phone interviewing is is quite pricey because you need to have a live person in order to do the dialing. So sometimes folks use an online panel to supp- to replace cell phone calling. And that's what the Emerson poll did. I do have one question about this Emerson poll sample. It was a, a piece of phrasing that stuck out to me as kind of odd. So when you're doing a poll, you have either adults is the sample you're looking at. So anybody over the age of 18, there's registered voters. So anyone who's registered to vote, irrespective of how likely they are to turn out, or a likely voter, which is sort of considered to be someone who is not only registered, but is considered likely to vote, as the name would suggest. Here, they say their sample consists of likely registered voters. Does that mean they're likely to be registered? I don't think that's what they mean. I think what they mean is just likely voters. They have put this registered word in the middle, I think unnecessarily. But when I read it, the first thing I thought was, do they mean these people are likely to be registered or do they mean these people are likely to vote? It's an odd construction that you don't normally see in a poll methodology statement. Well, they don't say whether their their uh, poll was used used a voter file for the. It says it was you know it was weighted based on a registered voter model, but they don't say whether they used a voter file to confirm that they're registered voters either for the online piece or the IVR. Now, that doesn't mean that it didn't. And obviously, lots of school and public polls, you know, ha, you know, they don't always release as much detail about their methodology as this one, but it's just, you know, worth, worth noting. Um, the differences in that can make a difference if you're talking about you know, a midterm election where the difference between sort of everybody who picks up the phone and people who are actually going to vote in a midterm election can be quite different. Uh, so the other state we wanted to talk about today is New York. Uh, governor's race there, um, not so interesting on the Republican side at this point, but on the Democratic side, it's real interesting uh, where incumbent Governor Andrew Cuomo is being challenged by Cynthia Nixon, um, uh, who is a an actress. You may know her as Miranda from Sex and the City, um, but she has made a lot of waves by really going after Cuomo from the left. Um, on a number of issues, and it is paying some dividends. Um, here, Quinnipiac has done a poll of, I believe this was, how many Democrat? this is how many Democratic voters? I'll pull up the, the release. Well, while we talk about it, let's see. Uh, um, but, you know, it's, <laughs> I'm trying I mean, to find she it. just... A thousand New York State voters. I mean, look, people, right, you need to have a big sample size in New York for all the, you know, all the various subgroups and, and uh, different, you know, different places and regions. Um What's interesting here, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's news that Cuomo is at 50, that he has a large lead over Nixon. I think it's also important to remember she just got in the race like, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, a, a month ago. I mean, it wasn't that lo- it wasn't that long ago. She hasn't run any paid communications. She's obviously comes with some hard ID and some, you know, name ID. You know, he's an incumbent governor at 50 in a primary. You, you could say He's got a strong leader. You could say, you know, you have a, a, a fifth, almost a quarter in a primary who are undecided, you know, in the race for governor. So, you know, with an incumbent governor. So it is possible that this race moves for sure. 
for sure. Um, and so anyhow, I we just want to keep – Keep an eye on that um, because uh, for me, that's one of them. I think I'm more interested in watching primaries go down on the other side than I am on my own side. <laughs> it's because I could just get to be a total spectator. Um, but I am I'm fascinated by uh, by watching this play out. Um, and I think the thing, by the way, that Cuomo is going to have the biggest problem with. So there's this question. Would you say Andrew Cuomo cares about the needs and problems of people like you or not? He's only at 50 percent. Is that, is that in the, not with everybody? With everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, with Democrats, it's at 69 percent. So it's higher. But you would still want that to be – it's not like a rock star number among people of your own party. Um, and so anyhow, you also have 69 percent who say they're basically somewhat satis- satisfied and 9 percent say they're very satisfied with how things are going in New York today. Yeah. I mean, among Democrats, she uh, half say they haven't heard enough about her to have an opinion. So she's at 35, 15, fave, unfave among Democrats. Uh, 48% of Democrats say, you know, don't know. Um, he's at 71, 21 among Democrats, fave, unfave. So, you know, that's a, that's a fifth of Democrats who are unfavorable toward him, um, is the first place she would go. Um, and obviously introducing herself to the other 48%. So and the race may change. Speaking of races that change, want to talk about 2020? <laughs> uh, so we have some fresh polling. Sure. Suffolk University poll out of New Hampshire. Um, trying to find out, is Trump vulnerable to a Republican primary challenge? And how does the Democratic primary look? Uh, in this poll, they test – first, they test seven candidates on the Democratic side – um, Deval Patrick, Terry McAuliffe, Kirsten Gillibrand, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders. If the primary were held today, who would you vote for? Joe Biden in the lead, but it's a plurality with – and I'm going to round this. I'm not going to use the decimal places because we know <laughs> from the AP that they just, they say no more decimal places. Okay. About 30 percent. Yep. Um, See, fo- it's so much easier. It's so much easier. Followed by Bernie Sanders at 25 percent and then Cory Booker at 10. When you add Elizabeth Warren into the mix, she then takes a pretty sizable bite out of both Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden's support. Um, she undecided can, goes up too. And undis- Yeah, then people are like, wait a minute, what am I going to do? Um, so, yeah, she she really scrambles the mix if she jumps in. Now, so a couple things to note about this. One is they – so they ask two questions and there's no kind of perfect way to do this at this stage for a variety of reasons. One, there are like 85 other potential candidates who are not in this list. I mean there is even an announced candidate, you know, Congressman John Delaney's not in this list, for example. Um, so there's all kinds of other folks. So this is a truncated list. Also, you know, I, they pick who's gonna, who gets which primary question based on self-report. Which primary are you gonna vote in? Now it's an open primary in New Hampshire. Still, it's just, you know, self-report. Um, not using, I think, any other kind of modeling. Um, but the other thing is in the question, well, what if I, so they have the first question with the whole list and then they sit with that doesn't have Warren. And then they said, well, what if I added, Senator Elizabeth Warren to the same list. Now, I understand why they did that. It makes total sense so instead of just saying, like, here's another list. I, I get that. Like, they wanted to make sure, you know, to explain why they're asking two questions. But that does change the dynamic of how people respond to this question. Sure. 
They also asked, by the way, about the Republican candidates and if someone was running against Donald Trump, how vulnerable would he be? Uh, Donald Trump's numbers in these primaries, they look a little better than Andrew Cuomo's did. He is hovering not at 50 percent but in the high – mid to high 60s in all of the potential matchups. He would defeat John Kasich by uh, 28 to 20 – pardon me, 68 to 24 He'd beat uh, Jeff Flake, 72 to 15. He'd beat Rubio, uh, 66 to 23. Mitt Romney puts up the toughest fight, but it's still 63 to 28. So there's just not a lot of appetite at the moment among New Hampshire Republicans for a new challenge. Now, I have to say uh, I was laughing because um, – I, th- I think it was actually her Hill Edwards Levy. I'm sorry. I'm just – this podcast has in some ways just become me repeating her Twitter feed. Uh, but she tweeted out a screen grab of what did the polling in New Hampshire look like at this point in time uh, back – actually, it wasn't even at this point in time two and a half years out from the presidential. It was at this point in time one year and a half out from the presidential, April 30th. 2015. So this is more of the equivalent of April 30th, 2014, but they didn't even have good polling. Right. Um, In New Hampshire, Scott Walker, 15.5. Marco Rubio, 12.3. Jeb Bush, 12. Rand Paul, 9.2. Cruz, 8.5. Huckabee, 7.8. Wow. Carson, 7.4. Christie, 5.5. Fiorina, 1.4. Different times, huh? Different times. I don't see it. uh, I don't see Donald Trump anywhere on here. So you just never know, guys. So whatever the Rock know. is going to be our next president. It's we don't like, know that's... who the Republican Avenger is going to be. Nice, nice transition, Margie. <laughs> Speaking of Avengers. Speaking of Avengers. <laughs> just after we wrapped the show last week, we I caught wind of a poll that our friends at Morning Consult had done, asking people to give a fave unfave take on every member of the Avengers Infinity War universe. Good guys, bad guys, everybody in between. Uh, And it turns out that a lot of people, I think, don't know who most of these people are. Um, Spider-Man comes in first. 75% of people favorable view of Spider-Man, followed by the Incredible Hulk, Captain America, and Iron Man all around 70. Uh, You wind up with, at the bottom, are a bunch of People who honestly, like, I only kind of know who they are because I just saw the movie, but Nebula, Wong, Mantis, uh, these are ki- – they're, they're characters, but you th- – I mean, there are so many people in these movies that it's okay if you're like, I don't know who that is. I know somebody who um, – whose cat is named Nebula, and I did not know – I just only know Nebula through th- my friend's cat's photos on Facebook. And I was like, well, that's a funny name for a cat. Nebula I had no idea. The of Thanos. Thanos. I had no idea that that was like a real thing <laughs> other than this very cute cat. <laughs> so that, I've learned something today. Uh, the, the people on this list that I think get really undersold and that I, I would like America to get to know better, number one is Shuri. Shuri is uh, the younger sister of Black Panther, T'Challa. Mm. And she's a super science whiz nerd and she dresses fantastically and she is my favorite and if disney slash marvel does not make her the next iron man they are idiots period well that's my that's my statement 
That's all I have to say. No, I like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some research. I'm gonna go do some research and check the record. Have you seen Black Panther yet? No, <gasps> I want to. I think I need to just yes. walk, have my. Just bite the bullet and have my kids watch it, even though it's not totally kid appropriate. Uh, yeah, it's the oh, it's it's violent. Yeah, um, would not be the first time. Okay, that they. I mean, how does it compare to like la- later Harry Potter? You know, like Harry Potter uh, Seven is pretty, you know, dark. Yeah, but it's it. This is more like, you know, okay. There's an opening scene where like someone gets poisoned and then somebody gets shot in the head Hmm. and it's and like it's i don't think you see like a big spray of blood but uh i'm just gonna have to weigh my parenting my parenting judgments and values versus like you know time and convenience you know and like finding a way to like (laughs) for me to go see black panther by myself you know it's probably well it'll certainly come out on streaming soon and then that'll solve that that'll solve that okay so, key findings. If you have to get up early, even earlier than a White House reporter, I recommend doing it for Lauren Hill, not Kanye West tweets. And speaking of early, is it too early for 2020 polling? And when it comes to Trump, are people unfazed, unsurprised, eager to get to the end already, interested in redesigning democracy altogether? We have a variety of cheery polls this week to get you through it. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters. You can find us individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at K. Soltis Anderson on Facebook or at www.thepolsters.com. We love to hear from you. Tell your friends, leave reviews, and we hope we'll catch you next week. Bye. Thanks.